Our summaries this week contain three cases on civil procedure, all from the Arkansas Court of Appeals. The first is Lacerdo v. Lacerdo, 2023, ARC App 584, where the Arkansas Court of Appeals reversed the denial of a motion to vacate based upon Arkansas Rule of Civil Procedure 60. While the order in issue noted that there was a hearing, there was no hearing, and as to the purported agreement it cited, Appellant argued she never authorized her attorney to enter into any such agreement. Judge Gruber explained, quote, Catherine Lacerdo appeals an agreed order entered by the Baxter County Circuit Court related to the custody of her and Appley Brian Lacerdo's two children and the denial of her motion to vacate that order. She asserts two points on appeal. One, the circuit court erred in entering the order modifying custody because there was no agreement, and two, there is no evidence of any material change in circumstances to justify modifying custody. We reversed the denial of the motion to vacate and remand for further proceedings. Catherine argues that she neither agreed to the order or any terms contained therein, nor authorized her attorney to do so, and the circuit court erred by not vacating it. She argues further that the order is facially erroneous because it stated that the parties appeared before the court in person and it is undisputed that they did not. Thus, nothing was recited into the record by either party or their counsel. Catherine is correct that other than the order itself, the record does not contain any writing that evidences that she personally agreed to the terms contained within the order. She is also correct that the order is facially incorrect because no one appeared before the court on June 29 and nothing was read into the record by any party or attorney. Catherine analogizes the order to a contract, arguing that it fails because there was no meeting of the minds to support the existence of an agreement. She further argues that to find a meeting of the minds, both parties must assent to the particular terms, which cannot be so vague as to be unenforceable. She contends that there was no mutual assent and the terms within the order are hopelessly vague and unenforceable. Brian responds that this court should affirm because it can be inferred that Catherine's attorney had the authority to consent on her behalf to the order and did so. Thus, she is bound. Both in anticipation of that argument and in reply to it, Catherine argues that Brian's affidavit makes no claim that she personally consented to any settlement there was no allegation that her former counsel had authority to do so, and black-letter law requires her express authority for her attorney to make any agreement on her behalf. She further replied that when there is no agreement to support an agreed order, the refusal to set aside an order premised on such an agreement is clearly erroneous. End of quote. The Court of Appeals agreed with the appellant, quote, Contract principles are applicable to agreed orders. A court cannot make the party's contract, but instead can only construe and enforce that contract the parties have made. To have a valid contract, there must be a meeting of the minds as to all terms using objective indicators. Whether there is a meeting of the minds is a question of fact. An attorney is not permitted to compromise her client's cause of action or judgment without permission. An attorney has no implied authority to enter into a compromise agreement. When a client gives her attorney specific authority to enter into a compromise agreement, such an agreement, if entered by the attorney, is valid and binding. Whether an agent is acting within the scope of her authority is a question of fact. 
With these standards in mind, we conclude that the denial of the motion to vacate must be reversed and this matter remanded. Whether there is a meeting of the minds and whether an agent is acting within the scope of her authority are both questions of fact. Those necessary findings of fact are lacking here, and the record is insufficient for us to determine whether any of the elements necessary to support an agreement are present. The existence of an agreement is of particular import because absent agreement, precedent requires the party seeking modification to show that a material change of circumstances has occurred since the last order of visitation, a requirement that exists to promote stability and continuity for a child. Assuming the party seeking modification can do so, the circuit court must then consider whether the modification is in the best interest of the child, with all other considerations being secondary. End of quote. End of decision. Thomason v. Thomason Investments, LLC, 2023, ARC App 578. The Arkansas Court of Appeals rejected arguments to lack of standing or failure to be the real party in interest, where plaintiff and investment company sued for another who was not a party to the case. The problem for defendant appellant was acquiescence during the trial. Judge Abramson explained, quote, During the trial, Scott moved to dismiss the complaint, arguing that the proper party to bring this action is not Todd Thomason and that the real party in interest is Marianne Thomason. He argued that the testimony showed that the money belonged to Mary Ann, and he stated that today is when we realize that the consideration was Mary Ann Thomason's to give, not Thomason Investments. The court took the motion under advisement. The parties then had conversations off the record. Thereafter, Thomason Investments informed the court that the parties had come to an agreement and it moved to keep the record open in order to add Ms. Mary Ann Thomason as a party. The court then stated, So what you're saying is, you'll finish the trial today, then you will give her the opportunity to join as a plaintiff, and then we'll have a decision. Thomason Investments attorney replied, And as I understand it, just to be clear, I want us all to be on the same page, and I think we are, which is if Miss Marianne Thomason is added as a party, their motion earlier would be moot. Scott's attorney responded, That's correct. Following the trial, on March 28, Thomason Investments filed a second amended complaint adding Marianne as party. On April 1, Thomason Investments moved to join Marianne to the action. The motion states, At trial, upon agreement and stipulation, plaintiff's counsel and defendant's counsel, the parties agreed that this matter should be continued with the record being held open for purposes of joining Mary Ann Thomason, a.k.a. Mary Ann Thomason, as a plaintiff. On that same day, the court granted the motion to join, and it noted the party's agreement. End of quote. On appeal, the Court of Appeals considered an argument that there was a lack of standing and that Thomason Investments was not the real party in interest, but appellant's arguments were unavailing. Quote, on appeal, Scott first argues that the circuit court erred in entering the judgment because Thomason Investments was not the real party in interest and did not have standing to bring suit. He argues that whoever is the property owner has standing and is the real party in interest. He asserts that the evidence reflected that the money belonged to Mary Ann and she is therefore the real party in interest. He complains that she was not added as a party until after the trial had concluded. However, at trial, Scott stipulated to Thomason Investments adding Marianne as a party, 
and he agreed that the stipulation would moot his motion to dismiss. Parties are bound by their stipulation and should not be heard on appeal to assert an argument that is contrary to it. We further point out that the court entered the judgment against Scott in favor of Marianne Thomason, not Thomason Investments. Accordingly, we find no reversible error on this point. End of quote. The opinion pointed out that standing is not like subject matter jurisdiction and may be waived. End of decision. In Perry v. Walmart Stores, Inc., 2023, ARC at 599, the Arkansas Court of Appeals affirmed dismissal of an attorney's wrongful termination complaint against his former employer. The complaint alleged an exception to the at-will employment doctrine, but it lacked sufficient factual allegations, reasoned Judge Brown. Quote, Appellant Shane Perry appeals from the March 29, 2021, order of the Benton County Circuit Court that dismissed with prejudice his wrongful termination claim against Appley Walmart Stores, Inc., finding that Perry failed to plead sufficient facts to invoke the public policy exception to Arkansas's at-will employment doctrine. On appeal, Perry argues that the complaint pleaded sufficient facts to support his allegation that he was terminated by Walmart for refusing to violate a federal criminal statute. He argues that the facts alleged were adequate to survive Walmart's motion to dismiss. We affirm. In June 2011, Perry was assigned to perform work related to Walmart de Mexico as part of his job duties, and in November 2011, Perry visited Mexico City as part of those job duties. Subsequently, Perry submitted a report to his supervisors regarding his Mexico City assignment. The specific details of Perry's findings and the report written thereafter are sealed and not necessary for the purposes of this appeal. In 2014, Perry was transferred to Mexico City to serve as an ethics officer for Walmart to Mexico. Perry returned to Walmart's home office in Bentonville, Arkansas in June 2016. In February 2017, while Walmart was purportedly under investigation by the federal government, Perry was interviewed by Walmart's outside counsel, five defense lawyers, regarding the report Perry prepared and emailed to senior management in November 2011. Perry asserts that the contents of the report became relevant to settlement negotiations between Walmart and the government. Perry contends that during the interview with Walmart's lawyers, he felt intimidated and threatened. However, he refused to make changes to the report. Perry contends that he was terminated by Walmart as punishment and retaliation for his refusal to change the report to lessen Walmart's liability related to the federal government's investigation. Taking Perry's allegations as true, as we must, the complaint fails to state a claim upon which relief can be granted. Perry does not allege that Walmart, at any time, asked or told him to change his report or testify falsely. Perry's allegations merely amount to a conclusory assertion that the intent behind the interview with Walmart's counsel was to induce Perry to discredit the report. An employee suing under the public policy exception to the at-will doctrine must allege that conduct required of him by the employer would have amounted to a violation of a statute and that his discharge was attributable to a refusal to perform the unlawful task. Perry's second amended complaint fails to state that Walmart asked him to alter his report or his testimony to the government in violation of a statute.
Further, Perry was an at-will employee and was subject to termination by Walmart at any time for any reason. Notwithstanding his at-will employment status, Walmart contends Perry's employment was terminated after an exhaustive investigation confirmed multiple reports of misconduct and violations of Walmart policy. Specifically, in June 2017, Perry was the subject of an internal investigation resulting from allegations of sexual harassment and gender discrimination. As a result of the investigation, Walmart submitted a report to the Bentonville Police Department related to allegations discovered during Walmart's investigation of misconduct by Perry. Walmart asserted that its decision to terminate Perry's employment was derived, in part, from certain information obtained during the investigation. In sum, we affirm the circuit court's dismissal of Perry's wrongful termination claim under Rule 12b-6, finding that Perry failed to allege facts sufficient to invoke the public policy exception to the at-will employment doctrine. End of quote. End of decision.